Open up your Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 9. If you're still learning your way around the Bible, there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. Luke is in the New Testament. The New Testament starts with Matthew. So there's Matthew, Mark, Luke. It's good to see everybody out. Man, I love you guys. I'm glad we get to do life together, church together. And so one of the things that, I mean, today, this week, the challenge is a changed agenda. Changed agenda. In, in our lives personally, in other words, our reason for showing up, why we do what we do, the things that we do, um, you know, like when we come here, but not just here, but in our, our world in general, a changed agenda. So in Luke 9, verse 23, Jesus is talking, and it says, it says then he said to the crowd, everybody say crowd. crowd. So in other words, he's talking to the crowd. It's, it's not anything specific or unique. It's just this general gathering. They're part of a crowd. I've, there have been situations and circumstances and settings where I've been part of the crowd. I've, I haven't, you know, I haven't been, like, you know, I've gone to sporting events before where I was in the stands, you know, and I wasn't out on the field playing. I wasn't coaching. I didn't show up for practice. I just showed up on that Saturday, and if they did well, I cheered. If they didn't do well, I, I didn't cheer. And so... Um, <laughs> So, but I was just part of the crowd. I really had, you know, just little commitment to anything going on there. And so that's who Jesus was talking to. And so it says this, it says, then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, in other words, if you want to change the agenda from being part of the crowd to a follower, this is, this is what he tells them to do. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must, everybody say must. You must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily. Say Daily. Take up your cross daily and follow me. So if you, if you want to just be part of the crowd anymore, but you want to be a follower, there's, there's something that takes place there. You, you give up your own way, you take up your cross daily, and you follow Jesus. And then it goes on to say, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but, you, your, but, but are yourself lost or destroyed? So Jesus is speaking to this crowd, to this group of people that are just kind of showing up. And he says to them, look, he said, if you want to go from this place to this place, he said, then you have to, you know, you have to uh, t take up your cross daily. You got to give up your own way. In other words, your own way of doing stuff. And then he said that you have to take your cross up, not just once, but it's a daily thing. Now, that doesn't mean we get saved daily. We give our heart to Jesus and, you know, and we have a relationship with him. It's kind of like my kids, they were born into our family. They're not born into our family on a daily basis. But the relationship, how the relationship is in our family, they play a role in what that looks like and how that is. And so we give our lives to Jesus. But then after that, there's this daily thing of taking up our cross, this intentional thing. And let me just tell you something. Even though I'm saved, I, I have to do that daily. If I, if I don't do it daily... Then there's other things that get in the way. I, I'll just, and I don't know if you guys struggle with this. There are times, man, I mean, there's just some things I let bother me, and I'm like, that's just so little. Why does that bother me? I mean, I, I was out of town for a few days um, and uh, with, got to hang out with the, the, some friends of mine, and one day we went and played golf, and, and we're out there, we're just kind of warming up, and it's, the course is crowded, and um, we're getting ready to tee off, and my buddy's up at the tee box, and a guy from behind goes, hey, it's okay if you go ahead and hit. I turned around and looked at him and go, have you seen him play? And he goes, well, no, it's just a long way off. I said, because you haven't seen him play. You don't know if he can hit him or not. And so I was, I, and I kind of sat back. I'm like, why did, why did that bother me? I mean, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to go to blows with a guy because he says something on a golf course. I mean, how stupid is that, you know? 
And I mean, it really didn't get that serious, but I, just that came from a place of irritation. I'm like, that's such a small thing to get bothered by. And so I know me that if I don't take this cross up daily, then there's still those areas in my life that even though I'm born again and I have the Spirit of God on the inside of me, there's still those areas in my flesh that can be petty, can be selfish or, or angry or, you know, or just that type of thing. And so I don't want to be that guy. I want to let the life of God who Jesus has made me to be live on the, uh, that's on the inside of me, live out in my life, you know, no matter who's watching, no matter who's there. Why do you do that? i got to take up my cross daily. Every day. Every day it's a laying aside my agenda, my wish, my purpose. I need to, man, you know, we're, this is like, we're busy. This is a busy age for humanity. And I mean, and we keep, we keep coming up with things that will make our life more convenient, not so we have more time for the things that matter, but so we can stay busier. I mean, you got kids, each one of your kids are in 17 different kids' activities and sports, right? I mean, it's like, okay, do we have soccer today, basketball, baseball, t-ball, chess club, checkers? I mean, what is it we're doing today? I mean, we have all of those things. I remember when I first got in student ministry, that one of, this was a few decades back, <laughs> When I first got in, one of the things they gave me to do was they said, look, we want you to create an event or an activity for the students one day a month. That'll be, you know, Wednesday, you're in, Wednesday nights will be youth service, but one, one event a month. I'm like, okay, I got it. And when we first started doing it, it didn't have to be very good, man. You have students showing up and that type of thing. But as time got on and, and all of a sudden our, our culture began to get busier, then we could do the coolest thing in the world and hardly anybody would come. It was just because there were just so many things just vying for our attention vying for our time, vying for those kind of things. And so we have to, we, we have to daily take up our cross. And here's, here's what we have to realize is that when we, when we, when we commit to God, when for our agenda to be changed, for us to no longer be just part of the crowd, number one is this if you're taking notes, is that a changed agenda begins with Surrender. Surrender. And, you know, that, that's a word that's got, it's got some impact to it just emotionally. Let's make it even more specific. Because we say surrender, now let's make it specific. What, what do we need to surrender? Well, maybe one thing is our schedule. Maybe one thing is, you know, the things that, to, how we arrange, you know, what's our priorities, Sometimes the way we conduct relationships. And I say we because I, I have the same, we have the same challenges. Don't ever get the impression that I'm talking down to you. Because we struggle with the same issues and some of them you may handle better than me. But, but this, for our agenda to change, it starts with surrender in our lives saying this, this is no longer mine. I no longer have the say here. Lord, you do. And it's a daily thing. It's a daily thing. So number one is for a changed agenda, a changed agenda begins with surrender. Look at number two, if you would. Um, uh, go with me to Acts chapter two. You're in Luke, and the next book over is John, and after that is Acts. Now, here's an interesting thing. A guy named Luke wrote Luke. How, you know, who would have thought, right? How cool is that? But also a guy named Luke, the very same guy, wrote the book of Acts. So this guy wrote these things. He, was, he traveled with the apostle Paul on his missionary journey, and he recorded eyewitness accounts of Jesus' ministry. So in Acts chapter two, 
after the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit had been given on the day of Pentecost. And Peter, the guy that had denied Jesus less than two months before that, gets up in the same city that he denied Jesus on and boldly declares who Jesus is. Now, unafraid of the consequences or outcome, he gets in front of thousands of people and preaches this message full of the Holy Spirit, and people are convicted by it. And as a result of that, thousands of them gave their lives to Jesus. And so we're going to pick up with that in Acts chapter 2, verse 41. It says, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. That's an incredible thing, right? Hey, how many people got saved at church today? Man, it's kind of a down day. Only 3,000 people got saved. I mean, no, that's incredible. It's incredible. So that's a lot of people. So about 3,000 in all gave their lives to Jesus. And it says this, and all the believers devoted. Everybody say Devoted. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So people gave their lives to Jesus, and the very first thing they did as a result of that is they began to devote themselves to certain things. And it says one of the things they devoted themselves to was the apostles' teaching. And then it says, and to fellowship. And the fellowship there is not just hanging out together, although there's not anything wrong with that, but the fellowship there was kind of this community of believers getting together, sometimes in a large group setting, sometimes in their own home, sometimes doing their own thing, just in various settings, various circumstances. But, but I mean, that they, they were connected together. They did life together. They were in community together. And so they were devoted to doing that. They, they were committed to that so they, and devoted um, to fellowship and to sharing a meal. So they were devoted to, to gathering together and eating together, even the Lord's Supper, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. They were devoted to praying together. And it goes on to say, a deep sense of awe came over them all. Well, of course, man, they're spending time with God and God's moving. Of course, this, just this reverence and recognition that this is not just this thing that we do, this, this religion, this event we show up to, but man, it's just us coming together and being grateful for what Jesus has done in our life. For the hope that he gives for our future. Not just in the life that we have now, but when we step outside of our body and we go into eternity. We have a hope for even that because of what Jesus has done. So this great awe as we recognize that begins to come over us. And it goes on to say, And the, a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added, everybody say, Lord added. The Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So they were, they were born again themselves. And then as a result of that, as a result of their relationship with Jesus, they began to be devoted to the work of God, to the cause of God, to the things that God is, to the plan of God. And so whenever our agenda changes, it begins with surrender. But here's, if you're taking notes, number two is this. A changed agenda requires devotion. Devotion. Now, let me just tell you something. In my own life, I've discovered this. We read this just a minute ago as far as taking up our own cross and following him. Devotion is not, a, it's not one of those things that it's like, man, you know, just ever since I got saved, I just feel like being devoted. No. No, man. I mean, there are times God deals with me in a service, and it's like, man, Rick, I want you to do this. I, you know, he's, he's calling me out to do something. And, and, you know, when I leave that place, I'm so excited about it. I'm so excited. I'm like, man, I cannot wait for this opportunity. Maybe it's an area of serving. Maybe it's an area of giving. Maybe it's an area of time. And so I'm really excited about it. But then guess what happens? Life doesn't know I'm excited. 
And so all of a sudden, life brings up these challenges and these obstacles and, and all of those things. And, and then all of a sudden, this excitement that was once there, it's kind of waned. And, and all of a sudden, being devoted seems hard because it's going to require me to say no to something in order to do this. And all of a sudden, I realize that devotion is not a feeling. It is a commitment. It is an intentional thing that I do, that I'm, I'm intentional about it. Now, I look at other areas of my life, and, and for some of you, we'll really be able to connect with this, and some of you, it, it won't, but I mean, it's just it's my story, so there we go. But um, years ago, when I was in high school, I remember that was back at the time when they, my senior year, we did three-a-days. They don't, they don't do that anymore, but we did three-a-days, and so we'd get up in the morning, we'd go work out for, you know, we'd have two hours, then we'd meet in the afternoon for two hours, and we'd meet in the evening for another two hours. And I'm going to tell you that when I would get up, man, there was not anything in me that said, praise God. God, I get to go out into hot August sun. I'm just so excited about that. But I did it. And then, you know, there's not a nice way to say middle of the afternoon in August. It's just, there's nothing pretty about that. And so even to, even to my young self, it was like miserable. But I did it. And then in the evening when we'd show up, it wasn't like, you know, how cool does it get in an August evening anyway? It's still hot in Oklahoma. And so I did it. And it wasn't because I felt like doing it. It was because there had been a commitment that was made because of things that I wanted to see take place in my world and take place in my life. So it put me there even in the hard times. What's no different whenever we're following God? There's this element, first of all, that we're letting his life live out of us. But commitment is still commitment. Surrender is still surrender. I still have this part of me that wants to be in charge. I have this part of me that still wants to be the boss that doesn't always have the best interests at heart. Doesn't always have God's plan at heart. There's still that part of me that still wants to make the, de the determination, the decisions of things that happen in my world and in my life. And so God wants our agenda to change. In other words, to not any longer just be part of the crowd. And, and, and so that commitment I made then, it, with that thing, that surrender that I had, that commitment, that devotion, it put me in a different category. I could no longer just show up on Friday night and pay a ticket to get in the game and yell and sit in the stands and yell at the players and yell at the coaches and, and risk, you know, being whipped by the coaches' wives. I no longer had that, that privilege of doing that. I was, I was committed to being a part of it, to being on the field, to, to making sacrifices, to, to doing things, and, and sometimes, you know, to, to suffer, you know, the 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 pitfalls and the shortcomings of what other people would experience, but then also to celebrate the victories of the things that, that we were doing. And in our walk with God, man, it's, it's just no different that they, they were born again and they had this excitement. And through that excitement and through the life of God on the inside of them, they began to make these changes. But somewhere along the line, it was no longer just that nature. There was a devotion to it. They were, they were devoted to that, to those things. It, it, a change agenda requires us to be devoted, to, to be intentional about the things that we do and, and to make changes in the things that take place in our world. And I, I just think about time and time and time and time again with various things in my world, just in the natural, how those things happened. So many times, you know, in our society, and not just talking about church, but just in other areas that that we've just, we've become so critical and, and just kind of put ourselves in positions of, of being consumers, but as far as putting our lives out there and laying our lives out 
for causes that are worthwhile and especially for the cause of God, the plan of God, that it's just dangerous to do that. It's just painful. It's, there's, there's just this, we expose ourselves to those kind of things. But this group right here, the beauty of what they did was, was that it wasn't one person doing it where he was isolated. They were devoted together. They were devoted together. And so I think about this, you know, that, that in a few weeks, it's, uh, and I've told you guys this before, that, you know, and a lot of pastors don't admit this publicly, but uh, I'm Rick Burke, uh, and I have a problem. So, um, <laughs> but, you know, there's certain Sundays that we just don't like. You know, Memorial Day isn't one of my favorite days. People are usually out memorializing the Memorial Day weekend on the lake. And so, you know, they're memorializing it then. And so me and my family and a few other devoted people show up, or the people that forgot it was Memorial Day show up for church. And a few weeks is Easter. And like, it's my favorite day. Memorial Day, I'm like, after it's over, I'm like, man, God, there's hardly anybody there. Am I still called? Am I still supposed to be pastoring? And then after Easter, you're like, Lord to God, I'm still called. And maybe this is a trend. And then the next week, no, everybody, it's kind of back to where it was. It's like, no, it's just Easter. So, but, um, but what happens on Easter is that, you know, people that, that this is their church, all, everybody shows up at the same time, which is awesome. And then you have a few people that that's just kind of the day for whatever reason. Maybe that's how they were raised or whatever. They may not go to church any other day, but they're going to go to church on Easter. And I don't make fun of them. I'm glad they're here. If you've been going, if you're watching online, you've been going to a church that makes fun of you, and that's the one day you go, you come here. We won't make fun of you. We'll celebrate. We may even give you a donut. That's how excited we are that you're going to be here. All right. So I said may. I didn't say we would. I said we may give you a donut. Don't be clapping and put me in a corner and say you lied to us. All right. But we may. <laughs> so how do I know? You need to come find out, all right? <laughs> and if we don't give you a donut, then you'll learn. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> now I feel like i got to give donuts. Anyway, um, but, you know, we, you know, but it's a time for us to, to come, and, and that devotion means that we're inconvenienced. We're put out. Because, it's, it's, again, it's laying aside my life, surrendering that, you know, uh, you know, picking up the cross daily and following him, following Jesus. It's, it's, it's an, an everyday thing. I, I don't know, you know, I've had people say, hey, come pray, pray for me that I won't have any more challenges and that type of thing. I, I don't know what that prayer is. I could pray for you, I'd pray it for me. But it just doesn't exist. It's part of our walk. And part of the thing that helps us it's when we're devoted and committed to the God's plan and to his purpose. And it changes our agenda. We no longer show up so that we can be critics of what takes place, consumers of what takes place, and then, you know, that if nothing better comes along, then maybe we'll be back. Maybe we'll serve, maybe we'll, and I'm not just talking about in here. I'm talking about in the places that God puts us beyond these walls. But to do the things that God calls us to do, whether it's in here or out there, you can't do it without being devoted. Obviously, you have to be called. Obviously, the grace of God gifts us to do that. But man, sometimes you're going to be challenged. You're going to face hardship, disappointment. Things are going to take longer than you think they should. Maybe some messages have felt that way. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so, not here, but... Um, but, but we have that, right? We're, the, the, in order to change our agenda, we have to change our mindset that it, we come and it's no longer about me, what I want, who I am, what I like. It's more God has placed me. That's a huge step. 
It's a huge mind shift. It changes my thinking from, hey, who took my seat to, hey, have my seat. And it's, it's just it's this, this thing in us that I think we all have. I know I do, this, that selfish element that's got to be crucified. And you talk about something resurrecting, it tries to resurrect itself in my life constantly. And so I have to daily surrender. I have to devote myself. I have to make that decision ahead of time. And often I do, I make it in settings and scenarios where God is dealing with me, where he's speaking to my heart, and I do that. But then as life goes on, then, then that desire, that want to, sometimes it kind of leaves, and now it's just based on the commitment that I have that, God, this is what you've called me to do, and this is what I'm going to do because I've devoted myself to it. And I think we're the same. I don't think it's a struggle that's unique to me. I, I think it's one of those things that all of us struggle with. Let me just tell you something. God didn't put you here just to be a spectator your whole life. He has something for you to do. I, I, just, I, I just know that he's called us as the body of Christ to occupy till he comes. I think it's interesting that Jesus said that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. He didn't say that the gates of the church would not prevail. By the way, some people view Christianity, you would think that he was talking about the church being having these gates surrounded, being kind of passive and withdrawn, just waiting on Jesus to come back. No, it's the gates of hell that better be afraid of what the church is going to do as opposed to the other. And so he said, yeah, thank you. So anyway, he said that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church when the church is doing what it's supposed to do. And the church is not this organization, this building. It's the body of Christ going into places that the enemy has long thought was his. But we as Christians, we're devoted. And even when it gets difficult, and even other believers may criticize us because they don't understand what's going on and what we're called to do, we do it. I'm all about, I say this, man, every generation, every church should endeavor to make history. I'd love to make history in Claremont in northeastern Oklahoma by reaching people and changing the culture of a community in a way that has never been changed simply because the imperfect, broken, misfit kingdom of God, body of Christ, engages in what God has called them to do and surrenders to the plan of God and the call of God, and people's stories are changed as a result of it. Let's make history. So, so anyway, a changed agenda requires devotion. These guys, they got born again, and their, their agenda changed because they were devoted to these things. They, that it was, they were the main things in their world. So it changes the agenda requires devotion. Let's look at point number three and we'll close with this. Go with me if you would to Acts 6. Acts 6 verse 1. This whole passage here, man, I mean, it just, there's so much in it. And I can see so much of what the church some things the church could deal with today, but how they responded. But it says, as the believers rapidly multiplied. Everybody say rapidly multiplied. In other words, man, there were a lot of, lot of people giving their life to Jesus. I mean, it wasn't just addition. It was multiplication. And I'm not a math whiz, but I'm telling you what, when stuff multiplies, it grows quicker than when you add it, right? And so, anyway, that's just, that's just to help you out. Anyway, so, so it says they were rapidly multiplied. There were rumblings of discontent. 
People have said, man, I just wish that we were like the early church. Well, right here, apparently we are in some ways because they were, they were being critical about stuff. So anyway, it says, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. They dealt with the same stuff then that we do now. One group was feeling discriminated against and how they were being treated. And I love the way the apostles handled it. This is what they did. So... The, the, the Greeks felt like that their widows were not being treated fairly when it came to food. And so it says, so the 12 called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Philip. Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. So they said, look, man, we have this problem. People are feeling neglected in the ministry. And the apostles probably looked at it and they were like, man, we're just, we're doing all we can. And I'm sure some people were saying, the apostles aren't doing their job. That's the apostles' job. They should do it. And they said, look, we know what God's called us to do. He's called us to pray and to minister the word to the people of God. But this ministry still matters, and we can't do everything. So let's give other people an opportunity to be a part and let them do what God has called them to do. So they picked out seven people. And again, keep in mind, it was the Greeks that felt neglected. And I thought what they did was brilliant. Do you know who they picked out to minister this program? Greeks. So, that they, so the Greeks could look and go, and have a confidence, say, we're being cared for and we're being taken care of like we should. And so they made this decision, and as a result, the, the apostles were still able to do what they were called to do, what they were gifted to do. Other people embraced the work that God had given the church. This was no small thing, caring for the widows, providing food for them. That was a significant thing. And they did it, and as a result of that, let's see the, the outcome of that. It says this, so God's message continued to spread. It goes on to say, the number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem. And many of the Jewish priests were converted too. So as a result of that, man, this tension, this conflict, this division that was kind of rumbling underneath the service was beginning to build up. They got together. They didn't have this, this get together where everybody kind of airs their differences. And well, you know, my truth is, is that you hurt my feelings. It wasn't that. It was, get involved. Get involved. Be a part. Be a part. Do what, you could, what you're called to do. And we're we'll, we'll able to do what we call to do. I've shared this story before, so some of you have heard it. But again, it's my life, and it's the, my point of reference, and it's the best one I have. But anybody that hangs out with me for, if you hang out with me, and you're really not even paying attention, within a few minutes, you notice I'm not very organized. If, if you're paying attention, probably first 15 or 20 seconds, you're like, yeah, he's not very organized. And so I you have people in my life like, you know, I, I love Jamie Brace. She's a person that when she's been around me, she tries to organize it. God's put different people in my world like that. And so um, uh, years ago, when I was in my insecurity and immaturity, I didn't view people that had that gift as a blessing. I viewed them as a threat. And so the Lord put me at a church, and uh, we were in Clovis, New Mexico, even though I'm from here, we were there for 17 years. And they had an administrator, her name was Virginia, and she was incredibly organized. I mean, she was, you know, she probably had her socks in her drawer organized, probably laid out nicely and stuff like that. Don't we hate people like that? Anyway, so I mean, that's what, and so, you know, anytime that something would happen, she could 
point out the stuff that I'd done wrong. And man, she would just frustrate the daylights out of me. I'm not kidding. Other times I'm like, man, I wish she was a man. We would just go outside and we'd just fight. And whoever wins today comes in as king for the day, and that has to keep their mouth shut. I mean, I just, you know, Lord, don't let her be a big man if you make that happen. I want to be somebody I can whip. But anyway, you know, so, so uh, you know, but we had that. And I remember one day we, during summer break, I, had, I took kids to a paint store, and we got paint. And so we're in a, I'm going to have them paint the room. And, and I may or may not have left them unattended for an hour or two. And so when I came back in, um, you, know, the, you know, I was just so, I was so proud of them. And, and so uh, her name, the lady's name was Virginia, and she's my friend of this day. That's why I could mention her name. But, but at that time, she wasn't. So, um, and so I, I, rem- I kept waiting on her to say something. And finally, one day, I'm like, well, hey, Virginia, did you notice the youth room? And she kind of cleared her throat and kind of like, you know, kind of got the stern look on her face. I'm like, I don't know if she knows what question I asked. And so, you know, she, she said, well, yeah, as a matter of fact, I did. And I said, what did you think? She goes, well... Now, let me tell you something. What I'm going to say, everything that she said happened, okay? So it's not like she was exaggerating. She said, well, I noticed that in the corner, there was a big spill of paint. It wasn't just a drop. There was like a puddle of paint, and nobody cleaned it up. Go on. And so then she said, um, and then they had one of those oscillating fans, and the cover had been taken off the oscillating fan, and the fan blades had been painted. Go Go, go on. And then she said the fan blade, the, the ceiling fan, bla- they, those blades have been painted. I- anything else? Well, yeah, we can't open up the windows because they painted the windows sealed shut up there now. Right, well, but other than that, you thought it was good, right? And so, I mean, it was one of those things that we just had, you know, we had that. And I remember we'd have moments like that. And, and so I would try to think of ways to just be organized and and, uh, you know, and just like, and, and she or people with her gifting would be able to say, well, no, you haven't done this or whatever. And so I remember one day I was, I was getting ready for youth camp and I was just doing some stuff. And the guy was my boss, my friend, uh, the pastor, he came in at that time and he goes, hey, chief, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm just doing some of this paperwork. And, and apparently the struggle was just so obvious to him that he's like, uh, you know, doc, I just want to tell you something. He said, you know, you're, you're never going to be a great organizer. And I said, well, you're never going to be a great encourager either. How does that feel? You know, so... <laughs> Um, no, I didn't say it too, but I thought he was my boss and I like paychecks. So um, I said, really? He said, no. Nah. He said, you're, he said, you're not. I said, but he, he named off. He said, these are things you're good at. And he named off some things. He said, why don't you let somebody else do that? You know why I didn't? Because I'd always, my insecurity, always viewed people that could do that as a threat. If I, he said that. And it just did something to me. It just impacted me. And I... I never forget the, right after that, we had this event, and we had a bunch of skateboarders we were reaching, and so we were going to do an event with skateboarders, and so, so I went in, because usually we would, I would have conversations with Virginia after the event, and they were never any fun. I would, I'd be like, in my mind, I'm like, let's just fight. Let's just fight, you know? Let's just fight, you know? So, but I, I, I remember I went in before the event, and I said, hey, Virginia, you got a few minutes? She said, sure. And I said, look, I'm getting ready to do this event, and I'm sure there's some questions I'm not asking. What are they? I mean, she began to rattle them off. She said, well, you know, because it's not a normal church event, you're going to need special insurance. And she said, I'll make the call for you. I'm like, you will? And she said, yes. We went down a list of things. And all of a sudden, this person, that in my insecurity and my immaturity, I'd viewed as adversarial to me. That all of a sudden, when I got secure enough and grew up enough to embrace their gift and let them do what they're gifted to do so that I could do what I was gifted to do, we were no longer adversaries. We were partners in the thing that God had called us to do. And guess what happened? The youth group grew. We reached more students than we ever had before. We made history in Claremore. 
At one time that we were reaching a number of students, they said statistically across the nation that it was the largest youth ministry per capita in the country. And I was still the same guy. The only thing that had changed was, was that instead of keeping people at arm's length, I began to embrace them with their gifts. And God enabled me to do the very few small, measly things I could do while they did what they could do. Because he wasn't interested in a person making history. He was interested in his people making history and Jesus being exalted and lifted up while students were being reached. And that's exactly what happens whenever we step up and we surrender and we commit to the plan of God and the call of God. If you're taking notes, number three is this. A changed agenda creates story change in others. That whenever we begin to surrender our lives and begin to live for the cause and the purpose of God, it not only impacts us, but it impacts those around us. There were students that were reached because my agenda changed. It was no longer about me. It was no longer my insecurity leading the show, but it was me being willing to say, I do this, you do this, let's do this together. That we began to see things take place and happen. Don't you want to be part of something like that? Isn't that what you're called to do? God didn't call you to be a spectator and watch it happen. He wants you to be part of his eternal thing, his eternal stuff. And as your agenda changes and you're no longer satisfied with being part of the crowd and you use your gift that in your own hands just seems so average, just so common, so normal, but it's committed to the work of God with other people with seemingly average common gifts, then an unaverage, uncommon God puts it together, and in your lifetime, you make history and the stories that you'll tell in heaven. We'll go back to that moment where you said, I'm no longer content being part of the crowd. My agenda's changed. I want to be part of God's plan and what he's called me to do. So I surrender, and I'm devoted to it, and God, here's my gift. Do with it what you will. That's what he's called us to do. A change agenda creates story change in others. Man, there are people that need to be reached. So I'm okay with this being crowded. I'm okay if somebody gets your seat. I'm okay if you've got to look for a parking space. And if those are the important things to somebody, this may not be the place for them. The most important thing is making sure that you always have your seat. That it's always got a parking space that's yours. It's not our agenda. But to know what we do together is as we leave that place from being a crowd to being a Jesus follower that's just surrendered, still broken in some places, still imperfect, still do some stupid things sometimes, still say things when I shouldn't, still get mad at people when they drive slow in the left-hand lane, <laughs> acting like they're unaware until I try to pass them in the right-hand lane, then all of a sudden they become aware and speed up. <laughs> so apparently they're more aware than I've been led on to believe that they were. Happened to me on the, on, the church, on the way to church this morning. And yet here I am. God in his goodness and his grace still uses somebody that can be as ridiculous as that from time to time. And if he can do that with me, there's hope for you. You just have to surrender.